There's a lot of you out there. <laughs> I'm Susan. Um, I am married to the wonderful man that stands up here with a guitar most Sundays, but not today. I have a little boy. His name is Hugh. His, he is six years old. He um, actually read scripture a few weeks ago and killed it, so he put the pressure on mom to get up here too. So here I am. Um, so I'm going to read God's word to you this morning. Our scripture today is from John 4, 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Again, that was John 4, 23 through 24. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. And now it is my privilege to introduce our speaker, who is up here most weeks, Justin. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I did not know that was happening, and so um, thanks for making me cry right before I came up here. I appreciate that. Um, you know, that's the beauty of, of this church, that uh, there's a lot of people that are willing to serve, and um, the leadership team, Dallas, they, they give kids opportunities, they give our wives opportunities, they give the church opportunities to be the church, and so thank you for that this morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about worship, so kind of as she said, most of the time I'm up here uh, with a guitar, and uh, that's, that's probably been my passion for several years now, and uh, it's something that I feel very blessed and very grateful to be uh, able to do. Um, so this morning, uh, go ahead and get out your phones, get out your notebooks. Uh, if you brought your guitars, go ahead and take those out. Um, we're going to be going over uh, basic chord charts, uh, intro to piano. Um, some of y'all are going to need to sing a, little, you know, a few scales, me included, so we're going to get ready. Um, some of that I'm kidding about. The others of you, I will definitely see after church, and you know who you are. All right. So, no, uh, we're going to talk about worship this morning. And like I said, I, this is something I've been doing for years. So I was like, yeah, worship. I got that. Singing, playing instruments, wor worship. And that's about all I could come up with initially. And, and I felt really kind of burdened in that. So worship is showing praise and singing praise to the Lord. Yes, that is true. We can talk about that. But my viewpoint was a little small in that. And it, it wasn't as wide as it could be. And I will be honest with y'all. I struggled uh, with the prepping of this. I, I, I studied. I wrote something down. And I said, God, is this it? And he said, no. So I scrapped it. And I did it again. And I said, God, is this it? He said, nope. So I scrapped it again. This happened about four or five times. And there is something um, that happened to me in that. Number one, it was clarity. Number two, it was being filled. Number three, it was growing in confidence in him, who he is, and what he's asking us to do. So ultimately, what I came to was, God, I'm going to need you to help me. And I feel that he did. So that's our starting point this morning. See, when we think about worship, kind of, or what I thought about worship, we thought about like 88.3, right? We thought about the radio. We thought about the hymns that some of us grew up with. We think about the worship Spotify playlist that I'm always hitting in the truck. 
It's either country or worship, so it's got to be one or the other. And if you can do country and worship, we're happy, right? <laughs> At least in my house. And then I even asked my son, Hugh, that my wife alluded to. He goes to Providence, and, and he loves the church uh, and the kids' ministry here. And I said, dude, what does worship mean to you? And he said, Dad, that's easy. It's when we sing songs to God and we worship him. And I was like, nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was hoping for an example, but... I'll take it because that means that I know that they're teaching good things down there. And one of the beautiful things um, that I got to do this week, and it really just tore me up, we're driving to school, and I had the, the radio on, and Hugh and Henley are in the backseat, and they are just screaming out praise. And I was like, thank you for that reminder this morning, God. So... Worship is so much more than just the songs. It's beautiful. It's heartfelt when we sing. It glorifies the Lord. But this morning, I want to speak on something beyond the singing. See, it's defined as a feeling or an expression of reverence and adoration. It's also defined as an acknowledgement of worth of something. Some of you all may know the story, but this is the story of Horatio Spafford. He was a very successful attorney and real estate developer and investor in Chicago in the 1800s. And unfortunately, in the great Chicago fire of 1871, he lost a large majority of his fortune. Shortly thereafter, they had a four-year-old son. He passed away. So he has survived. His, His son passed away. So there's mother, father, and they have four daughters. So they get together and they decide, you know, we need to take a little vacation. Like, we need to regroup. We need to refocus a little bit. So they decide, being in Chicago, they're going to go back to England. So he puts everyone on the boat. And Horatio, for whatever reason, last minute, has a, a business thing that is pressing. And so he says, girls, go ahead and go. I had to stay behind. I promise I will catch up to you. The ship sets sail for England. And... During the vessel and the journey, something happens, and that vessel collides with another vessel. And unfortunately, in that tragic moment, over 200 souls are lost, including his four daughters. He doesn't know this. His wife survives. She survives that terrible tragedy, and she gets to England. And the only thing she sends him was, saved alone, what shall I do? So what does Horatio do? he immediately jumps on a vessel and he sets sail for England. As he's sailing across the Atlantic, the captain pulls him aside, knowing what has recently happened. And he says, this is the area where the ship went down. This is the area where you lost your daughters. Horatio starts writing his words of comfort and the hope that filled his heart, and he wrote them down as this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know that it is well, it is well with my soul. To be facing so much. You know, we just sang that song, Jaira, and and I saved it here because it it hit me this morning and I needed it. So thank you, worship team, for that. But it's in, in the line, it says, going through a storm, but I won't go down. God, I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. That you would cross an ocean so that I wouldn't drown. 
You've never been closer than you are right now. Horatio and his wife are facing just this horrific tragedy. And yet, he is so grounded and he is so connected with God that the only way that he can respond is from an overflowing heart saying that it is well, it is well with my soul. His overflow, his expression in that moment was worship. How great would it be, church, if the times that we face these tragedies, these hiccups, these terrible things that happen in our lives, that we could respond in the freedom that he did to say that it is well with our soul. God, we know you're in control. God, we are so grounded in who you are and your word that it is well with my soul. See, I found in studying and learning and praying over this message that worship is based in scripture. Worship is commanded by God. Worship is something we do with our entire being. Worship is an everyday acknowledgement of who God is, the goodness of God, the truth of God, and the promises of God. It's our response. It's our expression of our acknowledgement of that. How he has changed us, how he changes us continually, and how he chooses to transform us into the image of who he is. We worship as an act of obedience to him. Matthew 4.10 says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, Jesus is having a battle in the wilderness with the devil. He's been there for 40 days. And at the end of this, Jesus responds to the devil. The devil says, come to this mountaintop, look down, and everything you see will be yours if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus' response is, be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. See, the devil is asking him to worship him, and Jesus' only response to him is, be gone, that only God shall you worship and shall you serve. This is as much a command then as it was and is now. And see, and I read this, and I think about my good friend Kate, and I know her heart rate just went up because we just talked about it before service. But I promise I'm only talking about your shirt because I love you, okay? Um, She has this shirt, and I'm sure you all have seen it, and it says, not today, Satan, on it. I mean, it's a good shirt. I like the shirt. I'd take it from her if it fit me, but I know it won't. But I mean, what true a line other than not today, Satan? When we were prepping for Barntoberfest a couple weeks ago, we were in one of these back rooms in the leadership and, and the worship team. We were, some of us, down on our hands and knees. And we were just in a time of prayer. And one of our prayers and declarations was, Devil, you are not welcome here. You're not welcome in this place. You are not welcome with these people. We don't want you. See, we desire to be so focused on God during that weekend and that day that we felt the obedience to say, not today, Satan, that you're not welcome in this place. You're not welcome in our minds. You're not welcome in our hearts. You are not welcome in our worship, and we don't want you. Be gone. And that night, this church worshiped, and it was a thing of beauty. And if you were here, you could feel the presence of the Lord Y'all, we are commanded, we are asked to worship him, to show him acknowledgement and praise. And we cannot know Jesus and be changed by Jesus and not worship him from his change. Just as God commands us to worship him alone, he also tells us what not to worship. Sometimes 
we get busy. Sometimes we worship our jobs. Sometimes we worship our money, our incomes, our possessions. Sometimes we worship relationships, good or healthy or bad. But this isn't what God is speaking to. It is certainly not the kind of worship that God is asking of us. Just as God commands that we worship him alone, like we have to get rid of all of that other stuff. Those are the small, slippery slope things that happen. See, so easily my mind like transitions to my status, my desires, my comforts, my possessions. But see, these are the simple things that God created and they're good, but we can't let them become the idols that we serve. Can you think of any of those in your life? They're not intentional. They're not the things that we intend to let happen. We desire good, and all these things are good. They're created by God. They are good. But when we serve a jealous God who doesn't want us focused on anything else other than him, and we elevate these things to that, that's where we get in trouble. In the Old Testament, as they left Egypt, they left an area in a, in a different culture where they had so many gods. They had gods they prayed to for everything. They prayed for blessings. They pl- prayed for favors in that, but God was making a change. In Exodus, God declares, for you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. See, today we find ourselves surrounded with social media, celebrities, that kind of keeping up with the Joneses mentality that we find this unintentional slippery slope of idolizing a person, a place, a thing. We don't do it intentionally. We start to worship our status or our wealth or our jobs or these relationships, and we place it above our worship for the Lord our God. Psalms 145 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly he is to be praised. It is good for us to enjoy the awesome and the beautiful things that come from the Lord, but we have to be cautious in those moments that we don't allow those things to become elevated and take his place because it changes our hearts. When we think about our heart posture, where is it? Are we bowed down? Are we elevated? Are we distant? When we go back to the prior series, Dallas talked about the position of God in our lives. In our old lives, we had our body, and then our heart, and then our mind, and then the knowledge of God. But see, all of that has been flipped in the life of, an, of a believer. We then start with the knowledge of God, and we let it transform us. And we let it transform our mind, and then our heart, and then our body. Romans 12, 1 through 2, says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be, yeah, now we're up there. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, guys, our heart position must be examined as we worship. We were fortunate enough to have one of our missionary partners in from Ukraine a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that he said on that Wednesday night stuck with me. And he said, before he worships, he asks God to examine his heart. Before he worships, he asks God to examine his heart. And he asks God to remove these unintentional idols to remove the bad, the ugly, 
to purify him so that when he does worship, he worships God wholeheartedly with nothing else distracting him. When we worship God, we show an acknowledgement of who he is, of who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. This makes me think about the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to be a little heavy in scripture here for a few, and I hope you don't mind. We're going to turn to Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and it came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, and he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going to you before he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, saying, Greetings. And they came up, and they took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. We're going to turn over to Luke. We're going to be in Luke 23. Jesus is upon the cross. It's another account of the crucifixion. But I want to contrast something for you. So we're going to be in 2344. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light had failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the saturian guard saw that the saw what had taken place he praised god saying certainly this man was innocent see the women know who jesus is mary and the other mary they know who jesus is they have been with him they have been learning they have been following him closely throughout his ministry time and even though the women were told by the angel what was going to happen i don't know that they were really ready for what they were about to encounter And when the Mary saw the risen Savior, they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. They knew who Jesus was, but in that moment, the acknowledgement of the worth of what he had done hit them. He had overcome the grave, and their response was to worship. The Roman officer who was overseeing the death of Jesus and the killing of Jesus, he hadn't been following Jesus the way the women had. But in that moment of death, he, even he, could not miss the acknowledgement of Jesus' worth. And he said, certainly this man was innocent. Like, he recognized in the death of Jesus that he needed to worship him. In both of these accounts of the crucifixion, worship was the outward expression of the recognition of the heart posture of these witnesses. God's love and fulfillment can be responded to with nothing other than worship. The beauty of worship is no matter if you follow Jesus for some time or it is a brand new first-time interaction with Jesus, you cannot help but to be changed by him. And when we are changed, you cannot help but to express that change in the worship of the Almighty. 
Worship, again, is our response to the acknowledgement of the price paid for our sin and the freedom that is offered in Christ. Worship is an echo. It's an echo of our heart and soul. It's an expression of our heart posture. It's representative of our attitude and our recognition for God and his truth. Church, when we gather in his name, when we focus in his name, when we speak Jesus to those around us, we lift our voices, we lift our hearts. Guys, we worship him just like we did this morning, just like we will do again. We are truly worshiping a God who is worthy and it comes from our overflow. As Susan read earlier, John 4, 23 through 24, the hour is coming where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. God asks that we worship in spirit and in truth. And I struggle with that for a second. To worship in the spirit of God means that I have to align myself with the spirit of God to believe the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. And once I did that, worship became so much easier for me to understand. I have to align myself with the Spirit of God. And when I do that, you can't help but to worship him. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The Holy Spirit is left to us when Jesus left this earth. He never leaves us. He lives in us. He is with us. He teaches us, and he reminds us of everything that we have been taught. He leaves us with the peace of mind and of heart. Think about that story again. It is well with my soul. Like, how did he get to that point? He had to be full of God. He had to be full of God to say that it is well with my soul. When we are aligned with the Spirit, we are with Jesus. And the truth that they're asking of, truth is that God, Jesus, and his word is the ultimate truth. See, there are many false teachings and beliefs, but those truths professing what I'm going to say is the big T truth of what Christ is and what he has done, he becomes worthy of our adoration. He becomes worthy of our worship. 1 John 2, 27 says, For the Spirit lives within you and teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. See, when we develop our relationship with God, we find God reveals himself to us in those moments. And when we pour into him, he pours into us. And this exchange happens, and we are changed. And you cannot help to express that change in worship of the Almighty when God is in you and God has filled you. It overflows. We cannot help to be affected when we're with God. We cannot help to be altered when we are with God. We can't help to be changed. We cannot help but to influence others when God reveals himself to us. We are following his commands of worshiping in the spirit and truth. We are aligned. We are empowered. We are filled. And it is from our fill that we get the overflow. And it is from our overflow that we have the expression of such. And again, when we are changed, you cannot help but to express that change in worship of the Almighty. I think of it like this. A dam is created to hold back the water. But eventually, the dam breaks 
and the town floods, right? It's a horrific thing, but it can be a thing of beauty. And I give you this. The Samaritan woman is at the well, and she's having an interaction with Jesus. And what does he offer her? He offers her water that will quench her eternal thirst. And her response, her being changed from her interaction with Jesus, is to run to her village and tell everyone what happened. And the scriptures tell us that many believed because of her and the message that she shared. Her overflow, her worship expression helped to carry out God's work of salvation. Like, I hope that would be us. I hope that something happens in us, that God makes a change in us, that we walk out and we make a change in the world to carry out his plan of salvation because we are filled with him. Guys, we spend time in his word, in his teachings, in prayer. We need to spend time in silence too, in singing, in lament, in action, and in serving him. The time with him fills us And when we're filled and that overflow comes, the acknowledgement, the worth, the adoration, that becomes our worship. There's a gospel account of the crucifixion that we read about this morning. And I would say that this is truly what I would consider to be the pinnacle example of true worship. To give complete value of worth and adoration by God to place his son upon the cross as a payment for our sins forevermore. See, there's no higher price, there's no higher cost, there's no higher worth, no higher accolade, no higher expression of reverence than that act. And he does it out of love and desire and worship. (coughs) Excuse me. This is living out our worship. He's using his body, his heart, his soul, and his mind to completely give praise and to worship in that moment. Worship team, you guys can uh, come on back up. If you've never given your heart to God to step into a relationship with him, to serve a God who's worthy of our praise and worship, then I strongly encourage you, like, take that leap. Take that moment. Step into that. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of giving our hearts to And we would love to have a conversation with you all today about that. Please see any of us, and we would love to talk with you, to guide you. See, worship isn't just a category of music. It isn't just our singing in church this morning. It isn't just how we worship in the car or in our bedrooms alone. Worship is an outright overflow of our heart posture, of our attitude. It's the overflow given to us by him. Our souls worship when we have joy, when we have sadness, when we have brokenness and despair, and when we have nothing but praise, and we share that with God, he fills us. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us more about his character and the love of God, and we cannot help but to worship him from that. Guys, it's a daily act. Do we fail sometimes? Absolutely. Did we come into church not in a great spot this morning? Possibly. Did we wake up late? Hopefully not today. 
appreciate y'all being here. Um, you know, I've had moments where I've like gotten in the truck and I spilled my coffee and I'm rushing to get here and it puts me in a bad spot, right? It sets my attitude wrong for the day. But here's the thing, even in those moments when I'm the emptiest or the most broken or the most frustrated, when I stop, when I recenter myself and I start to worship, I find that I'm worshiping from an overflow, that I have let God come into me, that I've spent time and poured into him and he's poured back. And when he's done that, I've been able to worship. We need to refocus. We need to speak his truths to remind us that it is well with his soul. Because if we don't have him, how do we deal with the brokenness? How do we deal with the complete loss and destruction? We have to have him to say that it is well with our soul. And that we will cherish the old wooden cross because of what Jesus has done for our heart and the desires to praise him. God, like, thank you for helping us to recognize who you are. God, to recognize what you have done. God, the payment upon the cross forever for our sins. God, we, we serve you in an act of obedience. We want to worship you wholeheartedly. That in the pits where everything is broken and we are in complete despair, God, that we are filled with you, your words, your heart, and in our overflow we worship. Even when we don't want to, even when things seem like they are so far away, God, that we worship you wholeheartedly. God, I ask that as we go into this last song, A Thousand Hallelujahs, God, that we examine our hearts before you, that we lay down our hearts before you that we ask that you remove any unintentional idols, that you remove any of the bad or the ugly for those of us that know you. And God, for those that don't, God, I just ask that you speak to them this morning, that you touch them, that you let them know that no matter what has happened formerly, that you can cover that, that we are never too far away. God, we love you and we thank you for being who you are. God, let us worship this morning. Let us show you the worthy acknowledgement of what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship.